that for we had two kind of heavy hitting gospel texts this morning. The first from John two that Heather read is from the lectionary for this week. And um, I included it not because it really has a lot to do with my sermon, but because I love it so much. I love it so much because uh, Jesus starts his earthly like embodied ministry on earth by way of celebration by way of facilitating celebration. And I think that that is a pretty profound thing for us to remember as we journey on our lives. And and then the second text that Tammy read is one that I just chose for today's today's sermon. And I wanted to um, just read the last verse of it myself, which says, good people produce goodness. They've stored up in their hearts. Evil people produce evil from the evil they have stored up in their hearts. People speak from the fullness of their hearts. Those are the words of Christ. Okay, so today I want to talk about the heart. I want to speak to you about my um, ongoing epiphany about living a heart-centered life. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. And also share a little bit about like how the ancient mystics and contemplatives thought about the heart and how that might apply to us today. And there's a lot to cover, and I'm going to go quickly. Um, But if by the end you feel inspired by this idea of living a more heart-centered life and you want to learn more, I have included some helpful links in the worship guide there under sermon resources. So if you feel a need to nerd out about living a heart-centered life, that's your spot I've compiled for you. But isn't it so funny, you guys, um, how you decide what you're going to write your sermon about? which is like this very long, drawn-out, slow-going, gradually epiphany epiphany that I've been having for some years about living a heart-centered life. Like a heart-centered life, not a brain-centered life, not an ego-centered life, not a trauma-centered life, but the, not a doing-centered life, but a being-centered life, yeah? A heart-centered life. And then, of course, the minute you make that decision, the universe conspires to challenge that commitment. So this week, I worked with tons of like normal life stuff that challenges me in living a heart-centered life. I, I dealt this week with the whole like disappointment versus contentment spectrum, the resistance versus acceptance spectrum with the giving versus receiving spectrum, the doing and being with like all kinds of duality spectrums that challenge me in my practice of living a heart-centered life. Not to mention dealt with anxiety. Anxiety is a whole mind trap, you guys. It tethers us to these streams of thoughty, thinky thoughts that stem from the ego's fear-based mentality. Anxiety will pull us out of our hearts quicker than anything else. So I want to say to us all with a big breath and inviting you all into a big breath with me. That living in the 2022 Western industrialized post-religious capitalist political dumpster fire two year long pandemic world is a freaking crazy lot. And if we are people who are trying to live a heart-centered life, there's a paradox that's happening for us. And that is that every challenge possible 
is coming our way and testing our conviction and practice, okay? And that living a heart-centered life in these times is the only way forward for love-based spiritual people. We have an option now to shut our hearts down. And I'm saying, if we do that, we're doomed. The world ego will have won. When the people who value love and compassion and service and divine connection shut their hearts down and give in to cynicism and hopelessness, this pandemic has won and we will have been tested and found lacking. And that is our challenge here in this moment at this point on our journey. So I just want to scoot over here and check. Is everything, can you give me a thumbs up? Everything's well, Aurelia. I'm having like some, okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> a little reassurance. Let's stream yard. Okay. So I only learned anything about heart-centered living in my adult spiritual seeking. As many of you will know, the tradition that I grew up in did not teach me how to do this or that it was even possible. And I had to go outside of my tradition to learn tenets for heart-centered living. I went to yoga. I went to the Vedic traditions, to mysticism and Sufism and Buddhism and on and on. And it's so interesting because once you are attuned to recognize it, you realize that the Christian tradition is full of wisdom about living from the heart. So if all you took away from your Christian upbringing was the heart is deceitful above all things, Please know there is so much more than that. The ancients who practiced precursors to the Christianity that we now know had a really strong sense of the heart as being the seat of wisdom and understanding within a person, the place where the true self dwells, the place in the human be being that is naturally connected to God, the dwelling place of the essence of the Imago Dei. There's even like an entire Christian mystical and monastic tradition. There are many. There's one in particular that's dedicated to heart-centered devotion, and it's called hesychasm. The hesychasts came out of Eastern Orthodox lineage of Christianity, and they have some beautiful and brilliant insights into this way of being. Likewise, the Sufi tradition, which is a mystical lineage that comes out of Islam, believes that the heart is the throne of God. So your homework, if you choose to accept it, is to read about the Hesychasts and the Sufis in the resource section of the guide. So we just heard a selection from Luke 6, which is Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, which is, in my opinion, the absolute pinnacle of the scriptural record and Christ's most clear articulation of his message. So in this text... I hear the Christ articulating what it looks like in practical terms to live a heart-centered life connected to God and centered in our true selves, which are made of love, right? Love your enemies. Do good. Be compassionate. Give freely. Don't judge. And I don't think that we can do any of the stuff that Jesus is encouraging us to do in Luke 6 unless we are living from the heart. I think the ego is incapable of loving an enemy. The ego has no access to unrewarded generosity and compassion. The ego's MO is judgment. 
So in transcending the ego, we learn to live from the heart. The prophet Ezekiel recounts God as saying, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We can't live like Jesus until, unless and until we learn to access our heart, unless we dust off our hearts and get ourselves a heart of flesh and not of stone. So in the biblical text, the heart is a strong theme. It's considered to be the seat of life and strength. Just as we today biologically consider the heart to be the center of the body because all blood vessels lead to it and go forth from it. In ancient cultures of many kinds, particularly the tradition from which the modern day Bible came, okay, the, the Judaic tradition, the heart is the center of the spiritual and emotional self. We might even say that the heart is the mediator between the spiritual and the physical. It's the place where metanoia happens. You may have heard this word if you hang out with many Christians for very long. Metanoia is a Greek word that means that we shift from ego consciousness to ego transcendence. The literal translation of that word is beyond thought. As in, we move beyond a rational thought-based way and into a heart-based ego transcendent way of being. We move from the head to the heart. Yeah. So the mind is the seat of ego and rational thought, but the heart is the seat of deeper spiritual knowledge that goes beyond thought. As the Christ said once to a bunch of haters whose inner motivations he had picked up on, why are you thinking these things in your heart? And he has this understanding of the heart as a place that houses our deepest motivations and innermost desires. From the author of Proverbs, we receive this idea that everything we do flows from the heart. Quote, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And for this reason, knowing that our hearts are absolutely crucial to how we live in the world, the psalmist prays that God will Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We learn from the ancients that God looks past appearances and sees the human heart. And Christ does this too. According to the Gospels, he is very able to discern the thoughts and motives of people's hearts with laser clarity. Jesus sees people in their inmost being. He says that the most important thing in life is that we love God with all our heart soul, and mind. Blessed are the pure in heart, says Christ in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, for they shall see God. So implied there is a need for us to wake up to the responsibility of guarding our hearts because everything we do flows from it, right? From Proverbs. That we need to be in the habit of heart maintenance, periodic deep cleaning of the heart, just like we periodically clean our car windshields so that we can see to drive properly. We must regularly assess whether our heart's channel to God is clear or if it's clouded by dust, which is what the scriptures call evil that might interfere with our clear vision from the driver's seat of our lives, which I'm proposing should be our heart. In the Vedic traditions, 
the heart chakra is thought to be the central energy locus of the body. It bridges the energy centers that govern the body and our inward lives with those that govern our spiritual selves and our outward lives. It's the mediator, again, between the physical and the spiritual, a portal between them. So having a strong heart chakra in that tradition is thought to be essential for physical, emotional, and spiritual health. So it's true that modern Western civilized life just doesn't give much attention to the spiritual heart. In fact, most of us go our whole lives without ever realizing our hearts are anything more than dumb clocks ticking away our time on earth. But despite however the traditions that raised us may have worshipped the logic and reason of the mind at the expense of the heart, we can wake up to the deeper wisdom access point that we have in the heart. And there are so many teachers, both within Christianity and outside of it, that we can learn from. So I've shared with you, and we heard from the texts, some of Jesus's musings on how to live a heart-centered life. But this, since this is my epiphany and I'm preaching here, I'd like to share some of mine. And my own epiphany is that the heart is an amazing piece of spiritual technology that we're only beginning to learn how to use. It's as though we've got a whole console full of functions as, and as yet we have only turned on a few. And the physical heart that beats in our chests is of course a beautiful evolutionary biological technology. But I'm learning to regard the physical heart as a placeholder for the spiritual heart. What would it be like if we all learned to live with fully turned on hearts? If we all became aware of the heartness of our hearts and learned to live from that space? When we live from the heart, we become less reliant on rational understanding of life. We have a greater access to compassion and forgiveness, those things that Jesus is encouraging us towards in Luke 6. And we have more capacity to live in the eternal now. The true heart lives in the now. It lives in abundance and in goodness and in godness. The heart is the pathway to our truest selves, our imago dei, the true self which is hidden with Christ in God, as St. Paul puts it. The heart is the place we go to connect with our own inner wisdom and beauty. And the heart can, if we let it, keep us connected both to mindful embodiment and presence here in the now, on this planet, with these people in this physical location, and to our divine nature, our higher wisdom self that dwells in eternity with God in love. We can learn to be in our hearts while we are doing our work in the world, the work of liberation and healing and repair of generosity and compassion, as well as the menial mundane work we all do every day, like folding laundry and doing dishes, etc. But I don't think we can do this work of liberation, healing, repair, compassion, generosity without being in our hearts. I think our hearts are absolutely crucial to us discovering and living out our purpose here on earth. When we shut down our hearts, we lose access to our innate wisdom and goodness. So how do we know we've gone out of our hearts? Well, one way is we get caught up in fear. 
we get preoccupied with scarcity. When, when thoughts that say not enough, not enough, never enough are looping in our minds, then it's pretty sure that we've left the heart behind. When we behave out of fear, that's not to say we won't feel fear, but when we start to behave from a place of fear, we have left the heart behind. When we've gone out of our hearts, we get obsessed about fairness rather than about justice. When we've gone out of our hearts, we lose sight of our own needs for rest and connection and healing. Some of the most heart-centered work we will do in this life is attend to our own healing. The heart knows that each person's personal healing work benefits the whole world. When uh, Jesus is asked in Luke 17, where's the kingdom of God and when, when will it come? He says, we shouldn't be looking here or there for it because the kingdom of God is within you. Those are the words of Christ. I spent my whole youth hearing the refrain that I needed to ask Jesus into my heart so that Jesus could save me and bring me to heaven with him. And guess what? They were right. I need to drop down into my heart and discover that heaven is already right here within me. This vast plane of existence in which I can choose to live right here, right now. And I am so grateful to Jesus for pointing the way to my heart all these years. When I'm centered in my heart, it seems to be when I am most centered in God and somewhat unexpectedly, it's when I'm most aware of my connection to other people and to all that is. I've been reading Martin Laird on the advice of a friend and Laird describes it this way. He says, a helpful image to express this sort of thing is a wheel with spokes centered on a single hub. The hub of the wheel is God, and we are the spokes. Out on the rim of the wheel, the spokes are furthest from one another, but at the center, the hub, the spokes are most united to each other. They are a single meeting in the one hub. The image was used in the early church to say something important about that level of life at which we are one with each other and one with God. And the more we journey, Towards the center, the closer we are both to God and to each other. The problem, Laird says, of feeling isolated from both God and others is overcome in the experience of the center. This journey into God and the profound meeting of others in the inner ground of silence is a single movement. Exterior isolation, he says, is overcome in interior communion. So when we can learn to live primarily from this interior plane of the heart, we will begin to understand the spaciousness of our own being and the immediacy of God. Augustine wrote, Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient. You were within me, but I was outside, and it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness, I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were within me, but I was not with you. Augustine laments that we search the whole creative world outside looking for God, don't we? We search 
the internet and the library and the Netflix and the relationships. And we stare at our phones, hoping to feel connected when all along God is right here within us. And the pathway to that knowing is through the inner door of our own hearts. God was with us all along. We were just not present in our hearts to notice. Living a heart-centered life will challenge us endlessly. We will be constantly confronted with opportunities to close and harden our hearts. And just as we have the power to give consent to the world ego, to have our soft hearts hardened to stone, we have on the flip side power to give our consent to God to have a new heart. And my prayer for us is that we are people who give this consent to receive these soft, fleshy, feely, intuitive, joyful, beating hearts and all the wisdom that is available to us here at the heart of ourselves. Amen.